you add pressure obviously when you're cooking for other people it's time sensitive and you know mm -hmm. if you make mistakes especially if you're engaged in the process of cooking if you make mistakes you know and people criticize those it goes straight to your heart because you were cooking from your heart mm -hmm. it's a microcosm of an environment that can get incredibly negative and toxic very very quickly i mean it's basic yeah. psychology but quite often i found through my consultancy people weren't creating the right environments to have these conversations they were talking about it and they were doing amazing presentations on it but there wasn't that many actions around it that then created you know workable examples to the team who were listening as to how they might be able to communicate better next time hi i'm belded mancus welcome to the purposeful strategist the podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Ben Quinn, founder of Canteen Cornwall, who joins us for an exploration of the relationships between cooking, human connection, and culture change. Ben is a critically acclaimed chef who's created a business that showcases good value food made with good values. He shares the fundamental shift in perspective that led him to start his own business, and how that shaped the strategic decisions he's made. He also calls out the unnecessarily toxic culture his industry has and describes an alternative approach. Ben's wife, Melissa Quinn, suggested him as a guest when she was on the podcast. Melissa, many thanks for that. Ben, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Maybe just to get us going, you could tell us a bit about your background and about Canteen Cornwall, what it does, how it yep. got started, and then yep. we can kind of delve into purpose, strategy, and other things from there. Great. Yeah, so uh, I'm a chef, trained chef, and I was working in some amazing establishments through the, the hierarchy of, of good kitchens and up ladders. And it got to that point where it was um, very obvious that I needed to step off the employment ladder and step into ownership. 12 years ago, I made that first step and I made it with uh, zero investment, zero experience of running businesses. But I made it very much with this view that I think that I can make food and making money for it work better for me as a dad and as a surfer and as a guy that lives in a, a seasonal rural area of the UK. That's how it all began. And relatively quickly, I realized that my customers, uh, they didn't necessarily want to just buy a plate of food. You know, their aims or their ideas of success weren't necessarily based purely on whether they left satisfied with their tummies full and, and eating some food that, you know, excited them or interested them. They actually would regard good service or a good experience or a good meal based on how they felt what the experience was you know what memories they left with quite quickly i was able to understand that the factors that were involved in in the success of my business were more to do with my purpose and my human connection with these people who i was feeding rather than you know how beautiful my restaurants were or how fancy my food is or 
how much fancy expensive stainless steel equipment I had in my kitchen it was very much more about is my head in the game um am I connected and present with these people am I cooking from my heart am I cooking produce that has a story that I believe in and um then when it comes to them eating the food are they at a state of mind of you know a good experience so did you come to that realization that that's what it was for you over a slow process or was there like some incident that you thought ah hang on a minute i'm looking at this thing all the wrong way what brought that together how did that happen yeah that's a, a really good question because from my perspective that was key to understanding you know what was the dna of my business you know, what's the difference between a good day and a bad day? What are my KPIs? So I was on a boat with a, a family from London, successful, financially successful. And we were doing uh, what I call a catch and cook. So we go out together, we catch our supper, I prepare it and cook it for them. They eat it and they leave with some amazing memories. The dad was incredibly distracted, very atypical on his Blackberry back then trying to sort out his life, his deals, whatever levels of anxiety he was feeling as we were traveling out of that harbor were very much based on what was coming through his phone and not what might be on the end of his rod or indeed, you know, what his family were up to. So there was a big disconnect. And, you know, for me, I was like, this is a typical situation of a client. I'm going to make some money and I'm not particularly interested in having a life similar to what he has, if that's what success Mm -hmm. is. So, you know, I was very much in my own ego as well. Um, but anyway, we landed a few fish and the first thing I tend to do is dispatch them humanely or as humanely as, as possible and then start to make a bit of sashimi or ceviche or just crudo, just giving the guests that experience right there and then. So uh, I cut the fish up, started to season it a little bit with some lime, a little bit of salt, a little bit of chili and I started mm-hmm. to hand it around. And the guest, the dad, he tasted it and his face went from absolutely zero connection to oh my god what is happening that is the most delicious thing i've ever eaten and he was then animated around the boat connecting with mm. his son mm-hmm. his daughter and his wife and we'd hit mackerel right so when you hit mackerel it's this um bait fish it's a very fast moving fish over here in cornwall but it's beautiful it's a really oily fish very little scales to no scales and wonderful fresh so you've hit this bait ball of mackerel and these fish are flying onto the deck and all of a sudden this guy who could eat in the best restaurants in the world, you know, three mm-hmm. times a day is turning around to me and he's saying, that's the best fish I've ever eaten. And that was the turning point. That's when I was like, oh my word, it's got nothing to do with the usual business model of mm. restaurateur. It's actually all to do with the, the guest experience, their presence in the moment and the connection to their friends, their family and the food that they're eating. That's the recipe for success. That's been the blueprint. How did you take that idea and turn it from sort of something, I've got this thing in my head that's about me and what I want to do to a business, to other people, to sustainable revenue? You know, how did all that happen? I definitely didn't sidestep, you know, the grown-up business terms Mm. approach. I was actually empowered by it. Mm -hmm. I used to play a lot of rugby. I think I have like a sporting mindset. I love competition. I love to be logical and organized in my thought process. So mm-hmm. I simply read like crazy around the models and the examples of business that are out there that inspired me to try and find a route of action to back up my beliefs of my vision, this guttural belief that I could create these lifetime memories. 
And very quickly, I started to establish pathways to create the actions that you need to put in place uh, on an everyday basis, even in an every moment basis, to make sure that you are on track for your performance indicator. So for me, that really started with making sure that the systems of making money from food were as simple and clean and as efficient as possible. Because every single time I can find an efficiency in what I now call the guest journey and product journey, two linear journeys that intersect, product journey, guest journey, intersect, creating a very short period of time, which in restaurants is called service. So that little middle band there where those two intersect, that's service. That's when we make money. That's when we serve guests. But the more efficient that you can make those two linear journeys, the the more areas you can identify opportunity to make connection, the more likely you are to make a success of your business because you'll make memories and memories will make word of mouth and word of mouth is fantastic marketing. Mm. And then all of a sudden you've got people coming to your door with this incredible story they've been told, wanting to make their own story and they're willing, able and welcoming to the Mm -hmm. ideas that you have for them rather than having to convert a guest's expectation or their needs or what has happened to them in the taxi on the way over or the babysitter not turning up it's not about that it's very much about these mega fans coming to your door just saying just cook for me and that's such an efficient way of making money from food that's how i did it so ben you talked about connection and i could hear that a couple of different ways one is you want to connect to your guests when they're there and you want the people who are working with you to also do that i could hear a related but kind of different thing which is you want to create the circumstances for your guests to connect to each other in a different way the distracted dad all of a sudden through food kind of going whoa i'm I'm actually in this place on this boat with my family. Are both of those active things you're trying to do and how do they connect to each other? How do they relate? To answer the question, yes, two two elements to create connection and all the time always being worked on. So we've got environment, which is a major factor for connection. Mm. And we've got the people that are within the environment. The environment to create connection needs to be one that uh, communicates subconsciously to the guests a form of comfort that allows them to move through fairly basic hierarchical needs to get Mm -hmm. to a state of mind where they're able to be present and to potentially self-actualize. So that for me is things like the acoustics, the temperature and the lighting. So on the boat, the acoustics of the seaside the lighting of you know a clear day light reflecting off of the ocean and then the temperature being summer that's a fantastic environment to make some brilliant Mm. memories Mm. okay let's say it's raining the sea is choppy and the temperature is cold you can still create memories but you need to prepare yourself to create a better environment so you need some warmth and you need potentially to brand the experience as more of an adventure so the guests psychologically are ready for it and potentially you also need to think about other things that you could create or produce that will bring the guests needs to the forefront so we've got guests coming onto a deck where it's raining and it's miserable so by having warm blankets hot water bottles even a flask of tea 
you're taking a threat to our business and you're making that the opportunity. So no longer is a bad day at sea bad for business. It's creating mm. a whole new set of memories, but you're still getting there. So that's mm-hmm. the environment thing, the free subconscious parts of the environment being the acoustics, the temperature and the lighting. We all know that when we walk into a restaurant, this feels great or this feels weird. It's too noisy. It's too cold. You know, they're things that you pick up on seconds into the guest experience, but your subconscious knew them the second you walk through the door. So that's the environment. But then on the people, it is so critical that as a company, we employ people with three mindsets. One of them is positivity and optimism. Pessimism can't do, does not work for us. And I'm not interested in it. The second one is emotional intelligence. The ability to pick up on a guest's body language, tone of voice, some of the idiosyncrasies of the communication that we have as animals and a willingness and a need to make human connection within the team is critical. And then the third thing we need is we need a mindset. I describe it as a mindset. Some people might call it a skill set, but the ability to get stuff done, to go to an intensity of work that is akin to an athlete or you know is akin to a chef mopping down at the end of the night you know they need to have a proper grit and determination and a get after it mindset if we employ people with those three mindsets i can teach any skill set i can teach someone Mm. how to make the Mm -hmm. most incredible sashimi on a deck that's never even killed a fish if they've got those mindsets if they emotionally aren't connected and if they aren't able to push on then it won't work within our business. A question maybe I should have asked a, a couple minutes ago, but let me ask it now. So Canteen Cornwall, how big is it? Where is it? What is it? In terms of a business, it's actually quite a small business. It's based in Cornwall in the UK. It's the southwest of England. It's kind of the surfing capital of England. It's a beautiful county uh, known for Doc Martin uh, TV show or Poldark. I think both of those mm-hmm. make themselves around the world. There's a sort of like slightly Celtic pagan edge to it. It's a north coast that is rugged and has moorland that falls into the sea and a, a south coast, which is rural farms and harbour towns and villages just sort of fall into the sea. Canteen Cornwall is based right in the middle of the north coast, a place called uh, Porth Tower. And it is a small business, but it really punches well above its weight within its events company. There's a, an events element to Canteen Cornwall that goes off around the world, laying really long tables in beautiful locations, which creates a connection to nature and the guests. We cook over fire. And it's one of those cliches, you know, we sort of build this amazing moment that genuinely leaves only memories and footsteps. And that's really what I guess I'm known for within my career. And that's really what I'm known for within the industry. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any of those in person, but some of the photos I just think are stunning. Yeah, and the um, the power of that ability to make connection with a large group mm. of people has led us to offer like you know truly fantastic weddings, but also incredible opportunities for brands to connect with customers or journalists, where we can create a moment in time, you know, where people remember it forever and write about it, that guests read about it and believe in it. Yeah, it's definitely been something that I never predicted to happen. It's been a product that has come out of this need to connect with guests, which is at complete odds, if you like, to a typical restaurant model. You know, the same four walls, the same menu, the same style of food, the same chefs, that doesn't necessarily lend itself to making lifetime memories. Mm. So 
you said it's a small business. I know for a lot of small businesses, you ask what the strategy is survive, you know, <laughs> let's be here next year. But just hearing the fairly deep way you've thought about all of this, I suspect you've got a strategy that's a little different to that. So how'd you get to it? How did you develop it? Yeah, my strategy is, it's a Robin Hood strategy. The event side of the business, which goes out, does these great um, events, makes some money. That money is then funneled into the restaurants, which are here to employ people year round that are in the events industry. They need an element of respite from the intensity of events. They need to be able to work in an environment that isn't always busy and so out of control that they burn out. They need employment year round. And then me as a resident or you know someone that believes that Cornwall is my home, the business we can help with the rural poverty by offering a space which is more affordable and is open year round. A lot of places are just mm -hmm. open for tourists and very expensive. So the benefit of having the two sides to my business is that we're able to create a truly sustainable business model, both socially and environmentally. The strategy to survive is very much on focusing on the efficiencies of the guest journey and product journey so that we're not hemorrhaging cash in the winter and able to make the most of the busy times. I had a look at your LinkedIn profile and saw two skills. You know, when I clicked, I saw that you had a few more listed, but two skills right at the top, which I don't think I've ever seen quite in combination before. One I've seen a lot, which is culture change. You know, I yeah. spent a lot of time looking at people who do that sort of stuff. But the other was catering. So help me understand catering and culture change. So a long time ago in my business journey, I started yeah. to realize that people were interested in, you know, how I do things and they'd come and ask my advice. Now that's called being a consultant. I mm. wasn't necessarily ready to call myself a consultant. Um, when I got into these operations, into these organizations, I realized that the true thing that needed to change was just the culture. They had shiny bits of stainless steel equipment. They had a beautiful restaurant. They had a menu, but they had a rotten culture. So I started to develop an understanding of the connection between lighting a fire, cooking some food, laying a table and serving guests as a model to help businesses understand the importance of positive culture throughout their organization. That then led itself to work with people that weren't in hospitality. So charities, organizations that were looking for positive examples of culture within their business, the NHS, I've worked with them. And then more recently supporting my wife, Melissa, who is in the space industry and basically offering the ability mm. to these organizations. I take them out of their comfort zone. I tend to divide their um, organization up into groups of people who maybe don't normally work together, groups of people with different mindsets, sometimes different beliefs and ethics, certainly different ways of working. And I challenge them to write a menu together one group might take the starter one might take the main one might take the dessert and then we go about splitting up the tasks making the food cooking the food mm -hmm. serving the food eating the food and at the end of the meal as a family around the table we sort of analyze you know what made a particular dish a success or you know what did we get from this process and it's a very safe way of exploring the way that a negative culture 
can impact a team and the way it works. And it helps us understand mm. that there's often a time and a place and a tone of voice to communicate that allows us to create a much safer way of going forward and allows teams to take that back into their working practices to make sure that they are positively affecting one another with their communication, which tends to help create a consistent environment, which they can then build a positive culture from. When you're sat around a table with people where you haven't necessarily had the best communication or you're looking forward to working on a project, but you've got some concerns about the way Mm -hmm. that you've worked previously, when you're talking about how Tom told you to cut the onions and you felt like there might be a better way, but you didn't feel like you could communicate that, that is often safer than team members talking directly to each other about Mm -hmm. what triggers them about one another because they're literally eating their words. They're able to to communicate, you know, through the food, what their hopes are for the way that they will operate as a team in the future. You add pressure, obviously, when you're cooking for other people. It's time sensitive. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if you make mistakes, especially if you're engaged in the process of cooking, if you make mistakes, you know, and people criticize those, it goes straight to your heart because you were cooking from your heart. Mm -hmm. It's a microcosm of an environment that can get incredibly negative and toxic very, very quickly. I mean, it's basic psychology, but quite often I found through my consultancy, people weren't creating the right environments to have these conversations. They were talking about it and they were doing amazing presentations on it, but there wasn't that many actions around it that then created, you know, workable examples to the team who were listening as to how they might be able to communicate better next time. It's kind of by going into a different domain that's in some ways more primal, more connected to human beings that opens up a whole way of talking about a bunch of things that wasn't there before. Exactly. It's not the same environment as work. You've got the primeval change to the environment, fire, food, but they're still your colleagues. So if you think about the journey you've been on, what for you has been the most surprising or exciting or difficult part of it i think the most difficult part of it has been understanding the discipline that i needed in identifying the mindsets in the stuff i regularly lied to myself when i always knew even in the early interview process whether someone had those mindsets or not right i learned a lot from my mistakes but now i feel vindicated that i can go on my gut i have data to back it up But, you know, mostly as a team, we just know if someone fits. The most exciting, uh, I think, has been allowed to exercise, you know, my hopes and dreams for my career while not necessarily sacrificing my role as a dad and a husband. Mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate in that I've been allowed to cook with some of the world's best chefs and cook around the world, but also take my daughters to school and you know, and I'm present on the weekends, which is really Mm -hmm. rare for a chef. And then I think surprising is that I don't think I am a chef anymore. Um, Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Obviously, um, you know, I cook for a living, but basically the frame of what I do is tables and chairs and fire and food. Mm. But the picture that I end up painting are these memories. That's what I am. I make memories for a living. The medium happens to be food. And I think that maybe I can transfer that. I help other organizations, you know, make memories with what they do. 
it could be anything from you know making a, a surfboard out of wood or um, mm-hmm. it could be all the way through to um, offering a, a service like being an electrician i really believe that if you aim for making that human connection, your business will thrive. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I've become an expert in. I'm an expert in cooking steak, and I feel like I can mm-hmm. put that book on the shelf, <laughs> and I'm becoming an expert in making memories. Right. You mentioned surfing a few times. In your way of thinking about it, in your experience, is there a connection between the surfing and the building relationships, You know, developing your business, or is that like a completely separate thing? I think surfing taught me the importance of the connection to nature and how quickly nature can create, you know, that overwhelming feeling of like, you know, I am just one human and that being perceived as a threat, obviously to, you know, to a restaurant as in that's why they have roofs and walls and Mm, and it's warm mm. and it's dry. But I saw it as an opportunity to food. So when you eat mushrooms in a forest, your mushrooms will smell better. And taste better mm. when you mm-hmm. eat fish on a boat you know the same goes for that so I, I started to realize what surfing taught me was by accessing nature you rapidly can create the most beautiful restaurant that you've ever walked mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. <laughs> with the most incredible soundtrack and that's so much of the legwork done for making memories mm-hmm. yeah yeah what haven't i asked you about that you wish i had what haven't we touched on that would be useful to talk about I think it's the reality of my industry's toxic culture and environment. I don't think that I would need to explain to many people listening to this that chefing and cooking is often glorified as this place of, you know, extreme pressure and tension and sometimes anger. And that is 100% true of the majority of the industry still. We, as a family, me and Melissa, we were watching The Bear. It's a cooking show. It's another, you know, chefing show. And it shows mm-hmm. it to be like high pressure, like volatile, crazy people. And it is exactly that. But what I fantasize about is what the bear is in reverse. So the bear goes from being a neighborhood family, slightly dysfunctional, but legendary, well cooked beef sandwich. Mm-hmm. all the way through to incredibly fine dining, high pressure, massively anal work practices. I wish my industry stopped taking itself so seriously, stopped glorifying the toxic culture that it holds on to, and started to actually call out and change the industry for the better. Best example is I would not be happy if my daughters turned around to me and said they wanted to be chefs. Not mm-hmm. because it's not a great career or it takes you around the world and pays you money or whatever, but because I just do not trust the environments of kitchens to be the safest place for my girls. Um, that's not me being a, a protective man. That's me wanting to make sure that I have made the positive changes to the world so that they can live in a safer, more equal community. Quite frankly, mm. chefing and cooking and hospitality is not that. Um, there are some great examples of where the industry needs to go. But the reality is Michelin and the Rosette Guide and, you know, some of the other ways that you can be accredited with being the best in the world Mm -hmm. at my game do not take responsibility for the drug abuse, for the alcohol abuse, for the dysfunctional families, the aggressive behaviors, 
from microaggressions all the way through to full bore, you know, violence. And sadly, the, um, you know, the deaths, the suicides, you know, I would go as far to say that Michelin has blood on its hands um, because of mm. the environment that it tolerates to exist for those stars to be handed out. And I do not believe that that makes the best food. It makes the mm. best environment for very male-centric egos to be celebrated. But I don't think that's the most memorable food I've ever eaten. I hear in what you're saying, Ben, that you've sort of got a purpose for what you're doing, you know, you personally and what your business is doing. But I also kind of hear in there a purpose that connects to the whole industry, the sector, and, and even beyond that. Yeah, I think an external purpose, one I talk about a lot, is to make memories. And an internal one is to basically leave it better than I found it, like be a positive mm. disruption. I had my first daughter when I was young, I was 24 years old. But when I, you know, when I became a dad, the penny dropped, there was a switch in my head, I realized, you know, this world is not a safe place for minorities. Uh, and it starts with not being a safe place for my girls. Uh, and that I was part of the problem as a white mm. privileged male, I was not aware of how inhospitable it is to be a woman still and so basically from that point forward i made sure that i was questioning constantly and trying to make it a safer environment for women and um you know that's been a really long weird journey but what mel my wife has really helped me understand is mm -hmm. what my role is as an ally and where i can get off the ego bus for it not to be about white savior and be more about how i can positively influence often the men around me to create the safe mm -hmm. environment that mm -hmm. these incredible women deserve, which has then led to actually an, a very successful business model of female leaders because they feel safe in my organization, which leads me to being able to take huge chunks of time off and hang out with my family. I wouldn't yeah. be able to do yeah. that if the men were that. I haven't been able to because... Really? Yeah, because That's, they just try yeah. and take control and, and feed their egos. Yeah. And I come back to an absolute mess of a business that I have to then get back into and clean up. <laughs> The female yeah. leaders that I've employed, some of which have now become co-owners, they display a maternal instinct to leadership that I have never read in a book and I've never mm -hmm. seen celebrated on a TED talk or, you know, in a university course or whatever. I'm bordering on obsessed with creating a maternal management and a, a belief in flipping basically the pyramid to, to the shape of a V and making sure that as a leader and an owner, you're supporting those above you. Who are mm -hmm. your, your team and your people? Well, maybe one last question. Any advice you might give to other business leaders who are, you know, themselves maybe trying to grapple with what their organization's purpose is or how to connect it with their strategy? Yeah, uh, reach out to anyone and anything that feels like it has synergy with where you believe you want to be. It could be business organizations. It could be a human on their own. It could be a family member, it could be, you know, a, a not-for-profit, it could be anything. Just knock on the door. Because anyone that shares the belief that purpose is the most important fuel knows that by sharing that, the world and their organization and everything, what they do, it will be easier. Like mm. when I go into a negotiation with someone that is just 
cost focused you know what comes out of it it doesn't actually help my business because it doesn't necessarily lead to you know a better guest journey or product journey it tends to be the sort of toing and throwing of a business relationship that isn't built on trust or anything like that it's just built on them getting the price that they want and me hopefully getting closer to the price that i want which is or you know as old as time but if you were to say actually why am i working with these people do they share my purpose my beliefs my ethics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are they going in the same direction as me that adds so many layers of connection that can add to a better guest experience which can only add to better word of mouth it will only mm-hmm. lead to more of those customers coming to your door so it's a very efficient business model whereas you know working with the wrong people you might get the materials that you need but i guarantee there's an equation of energy lost that financially you will see a deficit for later down the line yeah so just reach out to other people who yeah. who share your beliefs and just see see what comes from it mhm well, that bit of advice is maybe a good note to end on ben again thank you for joining us and particularly thank you for sharing what's been a very personal journey but also a very kind of if i got to this way grounded very much you know what's it going to take to make this business work i think that's just a great combination so thank you for sharing no worries thanks bell and really appreciate the opportunity bye bye thank you for joining us for this episode of the purposeful strategist in addition to being available on our website you can find us on apple podcast spotify and google podcast If you enjoyed this episode, please do follow us and leave us a five-star review. It helps others find the podcast. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Mm-hmm.